Well, Westmount, let's continue our worship by taking your copy of God's Word. Take it with me and turn right to the very beginning, Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the treasure of coming to worship your Son, the Christ. Thank you for the songs, the prayers, the readings. Thank you for this word now that we get to open in all its full grandeur this morning. Look at how you are indeed a God of order. And we pray that you would be in our morning. Lord, keep us well in this word in your Son, and let us go out living it, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. So look at the opening words there again of the Bible. They do not just recount an eternal God creating something out of nothing, but they testify to a God bringing form and order. You see that? The earth was without form, and then, as chapter 1 as we know, would go on to recount, God brought form. That is God. He is not a God of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14.33. He's not a God of disorder. Our God is a God of peace, stability, and good order. Not good administration of God. You think about what we just read. He made earth, the heavens and the earth, And he made mankind, as we would go on to read in chapter 1, ordered, mankind ordered, not randomly, not randomly, but in the image of God, verse 27 of this first chapter, in perfect order and complement, male and female. God then placed structured administration into his new created world, and you know this. Mankind as head, not random. Dominion, management over all the earth, fish and animals, such administration. That was perfect order as the opening of Genesis records. Perfect order. Look at the end of chapter 1. There with me. And God saw everything that he had made. Verse 31. And behold, it was very good. You know that. But then don't miss this. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The tidy economy of creation, well-ordered. Six days. Of course, that order did not last, and not because God undid it. Beloved, you know the order did not last, and that undoing was our doing. Genesis 3 records that in rebellion to garden order, mankind chose what? Chaos and confusion. And is it not true, Westmount, that is a default that we still default to today? We would rather our own disorder. Of course, we think about what is going on today, just to give you one example, non-binary 
gender fluidity is, of course, just one expression of disorder, is it not? One expression we see today. But Christian, before we say yes there, we have an assortment of other disobedient disorders. Do we not? We all do. Disordered homes, disordered relationships, disordered choices, disordered hearts. We have a bent to disorder, do we not? Which is always our bent to disorder is set against the God of order. In fact, it stands in contrast to the God of order. Yes, Westmount, God is a God of order. I'll say it this way as we begin this morning, God is a God of administration, That word, administration, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, means the arrangements and tasks needed to control the operation of a plan or organization. That's what administration means, according to Cambridge. Administration is recognized and necessary by the world for its daily running. Almost everything you do, service, and so on, out there is a product of administration. It makes The world go round in one sense. And that's because it is good. It's from God. And as we'll see today, it's all over his word. You can't miss this. Administration is given to the church by the Spirit in the ordinal list found in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Remember, along with the needed apostles, prophets, teachers, God gives administration. That word in the original language, by the way, in the Greek means guidance, steerage, pilotage. It's the same word used in the Septuagint in verses like Proverbs eleven fourteen. It says this, where there is no guidance, where there's no administration, a people falls. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there is no steering, where there's no pilotage. It's say in the Hebrew, no administration, a people falls. That is biblical administration, and it flows out of our God's very nature. And that's our consideration this morning. So let's begin our survey with a look at past administration. Turn to Genesis 4, past administration. You know Cain and Abel, the story and the account of Cain and Abel. That's not our focus today. But look at verse 17. Is this, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, in Arad fathered Mehuel, and Mehuel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal came was Nema. Again, you know the account of Cain and Abel, but this flows out of that account, out of the disorder. Verse 17 picks up his order, returns by the grace of God. What happens? A city is built. Look at it, verse 17. A family is raised. Wives and a sister are named. Roles are identified. As God's grace settles back in, after brother kills brother, orders restored through administration. And one might ask, as you see this verse in this passage, how can there be progress without that ordering? There cannot be. Turn to Genesis 7. You know the account, of course, of Noah. But we're going to drill into it even more. 
Let's look at these first few verses of chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Then listen to this. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I've made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. This is a command to order. Does God say, look at those verses again. Did God say, you know what, Noah, take with you some animals. And, and you know, try to muster up some pairs, because you know there's some rain ahead. You, you just figure that out. That's what's happening. You do it the way you want to do it. No. Look at the precision administration in God's word. Take seven pairs of animals for in seven days, what? There'll be 40 days and 40 nights of rain. And note this. Look at verse 13. The ark inhabitants got their own registry. Look at verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, and who were they? Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Interesting there, that's exactly what they did. You'd have no protests from Noah, right? There's no protests from Noah. God, you, you know, you are too precise. God, I, I don't appreciate the numbering. God, why don't you just let life happen to us, come to us? No, that's not what you get here. Go to Genesis 29. So we keep marching through God's word. Of course, you know the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you also know the children that will flow from them. Children that will flow from them. Let's pick it up in verse 31 of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. The order of Jacob's sons and their birth begins. The account of those. Again, the order of their birth, not random. Noted. And of course, those aren't just any sons. Those are the foundation of God's nation, ordered from one to four to 12. Those 12 would go on to be the 12 tribe heads for a nation, God's administration. God's administration. And we don't leave them there. Of course, Exodus 1, turn there. Look who appears at the very beginning of the next book, Exodus 1. Not a random collection of people of God. What does it say? These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Those 12, did you catch it? Those sons named specifically within a small census. 
And then look at verse 1. God's steerage of his people continues. It says, these are the names, not whoever was with Jacob came. And we can't recall them all. No, that's not what the word says. Twelve sons named, 70 persons accounted for. Again, this is the way it works with God and a God of order and administration. Turn to Exodus 30. Turn to Exodus 30. We, of course, have covered this book in our last study here at Westmount. But let's review this. Remember the time we noted which would seem like an obscure passage in the book of Exodus. But look at what it translates to us. Look at verse 11. In the middle of these instructions about tabernacle construction, which in itself is precise, look at this, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and up shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. We you think about this passage Again, this is the tabernacle construction, wilderness administration, right? Again, we've covered that. God says, look at it, take a son, census, number, number, very specifically, everyone counted, each to give an orderly account, and then conditions and structure on that. And beloved, this is so important. I want you to just focus back in on this passage for a moment. This is not a lame call to whoever is listening to just give to keep the tabernacle lights on. Yahweh not pulling up with a coffee cup, making that plea. This is a very structured and ordered call. This is Yahweh. This is God's administration. It has purpose. It has specifics. And note this, there is naming. Yes, all are named in God's household, directly in God's administration. Turn to Leviticus, Leviticus 24. Hopefully we're catching on. Look at verse 10 of Leviticus 24. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. See this here. Not bring out that guy right? Someone remember who that guy was? No, the order, bring Dibri's grandson, and look at this, from the tribe of Dan. That's how he's numbered. That's how he's named. Tribal account, family account, God's justice too, it turns out, under his good administration. Jerry read for us Numbers 1. Let's look at it again. Numbers chapter 1. Of course, this is a census. The book is called Numbers, anchored around two census in the book. Look at verse 2. Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head. I ask you, is there anything random about what God is calling us here to do or calling them to do? No, not at all. Take a census. 
And then this, number the people head by head, and for the purpose of what? War. Another one, if we return to chapter 26, you see the same thing. This is not just a first-generation thing. Look at chapter 26, the same thing. In fact, if you just pull out the 10,000-foot level of chapter 26, you're going to see numbers. You're going to see names. This is indeed a census of the next generation. Nothing changes with God. Well-ordered. You have rosters and clans enumerated. And then look at verse 51. This was the list of the people of Israel. 601,730. Is God a God of order? Turn to Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23. Now here's another dimension of God's administration. Quite frankly, beloved, we don't like this one. We don't like this one. I'm going to pick it up here in verse 3. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. Don't miss this. This is exclusive language, and we don't like it, do we? But this is the God of administration, right? Very clear. Look at verse 3, right? This is law administration, retold. God excludes certain people. They cannot enter. And that is order, and it's needed, is it not? God is a God of order. We know, listen, do we not, beloved? We know how free-for-alls go, don't we? Oh, let anyone come in. And the disorder that is always associated with such inclusivity, always, always. Ammonites, Moabites, right, in the assembly would be poor steering. Why they do not fear Yahweh, but more the way they've treated those who fear Yahweh. And one knows in that environment how chaos would ensue. Beloved, God's administration is present And it's needed here. Now that's just the Pentateuch. If we had more time this morning, we would just keep marching book by book through the Old Testament. And we would see this, you know, the administration under Joshua. And God's administration, you know that book of tribes and of land, right? In fact, take chapters 14 to 21 of one book, all dedicated to specific land and village administration. 14 through 21 of one book, God is a God of order. You would know the administration under David, God's king, the one that ordered and organized everything. In fact, let's see that. Turn to First Chronicles 23. Sometimes we just need to see it. Of course, First Chronicles focuses on David. It's the retelling of the line of the kings, but in First Chronicles you get specifically the line of Judah, but particularly zoning in on David. And look at chapter 23. Just scan it. You get the priests, the Levites, ordered. Verse 24, it continues, ordering of the priests. The musicians, look at chapter 25, organized by David. Chapter 26, the gatekeepers, the treasurers. In fact, the whole board, so to speak, organized. Chapter 27, you have the military administration, tribal leaders, and so on. We could go on. 
chapter after chapter of the administration under David. And of course, that continued with Ezra. Ladies, you've studied this, the administration under Ezra, the complete roster of the returning exiles in Ezra, right? You remembered that. And in fact, you were to turn to Ezra, chapter 2. What would you see if you turn there? It almost looks like it's out of the book of Numbers. You see names. You see numbers. You see roster. You see administration under Ezra. In fact, if you were to go to Nehemiah, you'd see the exact same thing. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 66. This sounds familiar. The whole assembly together, listen, was 42,360. Book after book, chapter after chapter in the Old Testament. And if we were to keep progressing through the Bible... We then arrive to the Gospels and the administration of Jesus. We've studied here that as well. Jesus ordered and appointed 12 apostles. One, again, that's unpopular by many, but he appointed them. He chose them. Listen to Mark 3, 13 to 19. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him. Note, Jesus called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Then, of course, in the verses that follow, the list of who those are. Of course, the administration of Jesus gives way to the administration of Paul. You need that administration in the early church, don't you? Consider the book of Titus. Listen to this in Titus 1, verse 5, as Paul writes to Titus, This is why, Titus, I left you in Crete, so that... You might do what you like on that island. No, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. I say it that way, beloved, because we have that sensibility, don't we? Oh, God understands. God's not so precise. God doesn't place. God doesn't administrate. He does book after book after book, time after time, as Jesus, as Paul. Beloved, I trust the administration of God is coming into focus today. And that is just his past administration. You see that in that brief survey? There's more. Let's fast forward to future administration. Turn to Revelation. That's our next point, future administration. Many of you are familiar with the seven churches that opened this book. Seven churches in Asia to open the letter. Seven, seven named churches, right? Named specifically in chapter 2 and 3, identified groups and bodies of believers. This shouldn't surprise us as we go to the end of the Bible, right? Not just calling general groups, specific groups. Let's zone in on one of those groups in particular, and that would be the church at Pergamum. Look at verse 12. Now listen very carefully to the names. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of, note the name, Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrificed to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Note how that's called out. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
And then the promise, note it. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. A new name written on the stone. Administration. But it doesn't end there. Later in this future book, we see the future administration of repentant Israel. Turn to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed, a group of sealed from every tribe of the nation of Israel. Is that what it says? From every tribe of the sons of Israel, 144,000. And then breaking down the divisions of 12,000. Very orderly. And then the future administration of the unrepentant. Turn to chapter 20. God doesn't let the hands off the wheel as it gets near the end. In fact, it gets very precise. Look at Revelation 20. This is the great white throne judgment, verses 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And the last call was made for those that want to come to Jesus. No. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And what? Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. End times administration. Do you see that? God's order does not stop. In Revelation 21, it doesn't stop right into eternity. Revelation 21, look at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. And then look at verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. There's that inclusive language or exclusive language again nor anyone who does what is detestable or false than this but only those who what are written in the lamb's book of life administration from the churches in revelation 2 to israel in revelation 7 to the lost in revelation 20 and the saved into eternity revelation 21 22 westmount at the culmination of all things look at it god's administration is the driver the eternal destiny of all souls is administered by way of order and inclusion in a book. Do you see that? From the beginning to the end. That is the future administration of God. However, we are not there yet, although closer by the day. One more, and that's our final point this morning, and it's, of course, this present administration. Let's turn to Acts 2. And I trust this is all coming together at this point. God is a God of order, not disorder. Why do we do what we do? Because God is a God of order. Acts 2 here, we have, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit, inaugurating, defining a new administration. And what is that under God? It's not no administration, according to some denominations. However, the Spirit impresses you. No, it's a definer, and let's work toward this now. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and he, as Yahweh did in the Old Testament, he begins ordering. He convicts, and he draws God's people. He indwells, and he equips God's people. 
No surprise then, this administration of God and his people now is comprehensive. As we come to verse 41, which is a key, key verse in Acts 2, Peter's gospel call lingers in the air. Look at it. Go back to verse 40. And with many other words he bore witness. This is Peter preaching, testifying, bearing witness. He continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. That call, as it still does today, begs a response. And we see one simply stated in verse 41. Look at it with me. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 added to the 120 in Acts 1.15. Numbers again noted, so that's 3,120 souls that made up that first local church there in Jerusalem. And the very first thing we must notice here is this. These are redeemed, indwelt souls. It's the hallmark of this administration. That was true in the first century, and it's still true today in the 21st century. God is still ordering. This is his present administration when he gathers his people. It's an administration and an ordering structured first and foremost, not only, but first and foremost by the operation of the indwelt Holy Spirit. We're going to see more on this in a moment, but let's get this foundation clear. This present administration by God is not an ordering of simply professing people. Do you see that? It's not people that just say, yes, I'm okay with Jesus. No. This present administration by God is exclusive to the Holy Spirit indwelt ordered. Thus, this first local church is not comprised of people that were just simply in attendance that day. Do you see that? Not not true at all. This first local church is not comprised of people that really dug Peter's style and personality. Not at all. No, the local church here is not that. This group is ordered in this present administration by the Holy Spirit who fills souls. Souls that, look at verse 41, receive the word. They thus heard the word and believed it. And souls that then, verse 41, were baptized. So do you see that? They believed the word. They obeyed. And what did they do? Output. They were baptized. We saw that this morning, did we not? Wendy heard, believed, and what happened? baptized. That's how it goes. And in this administration, it makes sense, right? Because we know that the church is actually what? The body of Christ. The body of Christ, those saved by him are those, what have we learned in Romans? Those baptized into him, Romans 6, 1 to 4. Now at this point, again, I trust it's clear, the administration of God, the order of God. And this would be our hinge this morning. We can't leave it there. Again, I hope we've seen in the word that God is a God of order. And maybe if nothing else this morning, some of you realize, yes, God is a God of order and he demands order. But he demands order in us in ways that I think we still can't come to grips with. This is our hinge. If God is ordered, then what of us? Look at verse 42. And they what? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayer. They ordered and administered themselves around these things, right? They ordered themselves. That's the idea. Their administration in response to God was ordered and steered toward God, specifically in the administration of the early church, focused, directed onto him, devoted. Look at that word. We were talking about it with the new members downstairs this morning. 
Do we not just skim that word when we come to Acts 2? They were there with the breaking of bread. They were devoted. That verb really defines this new administration of God's people. This is how the first church approached being the church. They were devoted. Their entire self-administration was focused toward God. And beloved, don't miss this. That's a full-ordered life. Beloved, I pray we see this reality of the present administration. Our response is devotion. Devotion, in the original language, would read they were being regularly devoted. The sense of that there is the action just continues. It's habitual. It was a manner of life. And we have to ask this morning, what does the word mean by devotion? If it's the hallmark of the response of those administered under God, what is this? And we so need this today, as this is our next message in our series of misunderstood doctrines. This is where it all comes together. Administration, commitment, membership, it's all misunderstood today, is it not? Devotion means to be faithful, to adhere firmly. Literally, it means to attach oneself. Consider that in God's present administration. He places and orders devoted people. Let's just slow this down. Let's ask the question, do you see that in local churches today? Do you see Acts 2.42 in local churches today? Just think for a moment. Do you see that? Full devotion. Do you see that? God has administered the Holy Spirit for us, church, believers, groups like this at Westmount of local believers. And our response to that placement, to that administration, is very specific. And we must ask, do local churches look like this? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Westmount, the answer is local churches do not look like this, nor are they devoted like this. Centuries later, today, local churches look more like this. Social clubs treated like another patch on the sign as you drive into town. Oh, great, there's a church here. Service providers, local churches treated as weekly soul pick-me-ups. Got to make it to church, I'm feeling down. Buildings, buildings, local church gatherings are relegated today to just being in this building from 10.30 to 12. Beloved, the indwelt Holy Spirit in this administration of God means this, your whole life is devoted to God. Does that make sense? Your whole life. Participating in the local church can be nothing less, as we see here in Acts 2. If we're Bible-believing Christians, the church can be nothing less than Acts 2, can it? It can't be. God's administration in the local church is by way of the indwelt Holy Spirit who fills you, who enables you, who equips you to live such a fully devoted life for God. Hence this present administration. Listen, the economy and administration of the local church if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, means that the local church, the present administration of God, the local church gives shape, fullness, and drive to the rest of your life like you see here in the book of Acts. That's what it means. We're reading the Bible correctly. At least it should, right? Our brothers and sisters track with me. It doesn't, does it? If we're being honest this morning, it doesn't. 
What is church administration today? How do we respond? Administration today is a Sunday administration at best. Nothing Monday to Saturday. In fact, Monday to Saturday reveals what one is truly devoted to. Is that not true? Administration today, even if here Sunday, is okay with missing Sunday mornings. My relatives always schedule something. I'm just tired. I meant to be there and so on. Administration today does not include the local church in life decisions. I will never forget a few years ago, good friends deciding to go out east. They were going to sell their home, take advantage of the market. We're going out east, and as we're working through this with them, well, where are you going to church? Well, we'll figure that out when we get there. Listen, that is symptomatic of where we're at today. Local church not even on the radar with big life decisions. I know a brother who's right at this very moment orienting his entire life decision with no work around this church. Fully devoted life. Administration today has little regard for the corporate. Have you heard this? Just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. Ordinances are trampled, neglected, or treated as a private mystical experience. Is that not true? Administration today does not feel that serving is essential. I once had someone say to me, this is a true story, I've kind of hit my expiration with serving. Been there, done that. Administration today loves gospel benefits. Who doesn't? Loves the food, loves the fellowship. They just don't like gospel identification. Putting sin to death. We could go on. Westman, if Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's the ultimate authority in the Christian's life, then the vehicle we see here that drives that administration is the local body. Listen, not some amorphous, undefined association with church attendance or events. That's not the way it works. The present administration of God's people is whole life together, like this. Look at Acts 2, like this. And not just Acts 2, it's Romans 12. We'll get there. It's Galatians 6, bearing one another's burdens. It's Hebrews 10, full life of stirring one another up to good works. To be a Christian in this present administration is to be united with a local group of similarly indwelt believers and to live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit together. In one sense, this is just like the administration in Israel, is it not? Everything together. The Israelites would have had no concept of a rogue Israelite. You're not going on the pilgrimage? You're not gathering with your tribe? It's not an Israelite. Westmount, this flows out of the adoption doctrine we studied last week. Do you remember that in Romans 8? Think with me for a moment. Orphans are not adopted to be put back on the street, are they? That's nonsense, isn't it? But that's how we operate as Christians sometimes, don't we? Oh yeah, I'm saved. And then we just continue without any structure and administration in the Christian life. Orphans are adopted and placed in a family, in a physical house. To do what? To do full life together with others. They better be, right? How can you obey the one another commands in this present administration without this manner of full-bodied living? The answer is, loved ones, you can't. You can't. Later this summer, by the way, we're going to look to cover some of those, what goes on when we gather together. Many questions there, especially if you're new, you have. Why we do what we do. 
You saw this this morning. Why do we say the things we say before the Lord's table? Why do we sing psalms and so on? So we're going to take a full morning to just talk about that, to teach you on that in corporate worship, the things we do when we're together, fully devoted together. All right, one last comment on this present administration. One last one, and I pray after this survey and that application that this is just obvious. You can see we're approaching this a little differently this morning. I just pray this hardly needs to be said. This last part... I pray, like the Trinity, when you go to the scriptures and say, oh yeah, I don't need to see the word Trinity, I just see it all over. I pray it's now like this as we enter this last bucket. It's not just a Holy Spirit giving from God or a heart response from us. It is those things, but this present administration is very practical. Let me give you three. God's administration today has roles and registers like the Old Testament. You're like, I don't see that. Turn to 1 Timothy. Just because the church doesn't have a book, per se, of numbers and census in, uh, in the Old Testament, doesn't mean we don't have similar registers and roles. Look at 1 Timothy 5. Let's pick it up in verse 9. These are instructions, by the way. If you were to look at chapter 3, Paul says that you would know Timothy, how one ought to behave in the household of God. So this is directly speaking to life in the church. Back to chapter 5. He says, let a widow be what? Enrolled, if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Listen to this in verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows. When their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. This is a role and a register. This is an economy and administration right there in Ephesus. For those that buck up against such things, it's right there in 1 Timothy 5. That's one. So God's administration today has roles, has registers. God is a God of order. Two, God's administration today has protective mechanisms. You know, of course, Matthew 18, protecting the straying sheep. You know, of course, 1 Corinthians 5, to save that straying brother in Corinth. We know those well. And those are needed administrations in local bodies. How can one, think of 1 Corinthians 5, be put out of something unless they're in something? Put him out of the local body because he's in it, and there needs to be a mechanism to recognize him in that body. But there's also more here. Turn to Hebrews, Hebrews 13. When we think about a protective mechanism, look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. And then this, look carefully, beloved, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I've said this before from the front, and I'm going to say it again. How do David, Gary, and I know who we're going to answer for when we die and we're before the Lord. How do we know that? The sometimers, the one-timers? No, under the administration of God, in the roles we saw in 1 Timothy 5, there's an account and naming that happens in the local church. That's how we know. Thirdly, God's administration today is about identification. This is so important. Just like the Old Testament, the Israelite, tribal Tribal line mattered. Not only tribal line, this is my father, this is my kin, it mattered. Identification mattered. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, turn there. 
And then this very end of the letter, Paul, after he charges the men to be watchful and stand firm and strong, look at this in verse 15. Don't miss every word matters. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus named were the first converts in Achaia, and they were and they have devoted, same word, themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer and more. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. And look at this, give recognition to such people. You see that? Look at it again. Give recognition to such people, such named identified people as part of the church. Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, real people in the first century church at Corinth. Local first century body of believers. Named, identified, understood, and associated with the church at Corinth. One imagines talking to Fortunatus, and you say, Fortunatus, you go to Corinth. Well, I sometimes go to Corinth. You know, I kind of like what they're doing in Philippi. And I kind of do a bit there. And I kind of got this parachurch thing happening right outside of Macedonia. No, Fortunatus says, that's my church. To the point where he can be named in the word of God to say, this is the church that I'm associated with. Named, identified, understood, and associated with the church at Corinth. This is not just association or attendance. This is identification and recognition. And if we're sitting here this morning and this just feels so foreign and uncomfortable, it's because this is the economy outside of us, isn't it? No commitments, step backs, let me think it over into perpetuity versus covenanting and committing. And we say this because look at it again. Very clear in verse 18, give recognition to such people. And that's what we do here at Westmount Bible Chapel. And we do it in this present administration. And we do it because it's been true in Genesis 1. And it's true in Revelation 21. And all the way through, God is a God of order. He names and he identifies and he orders. 